And here we go, another edition of Sports Medicine Weekly. Welcome, and everybody, I'm Steve Cashel, Chicago Bulls radio host. My co-host this week, filling in for Dr. Brian Cole, is Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph. He was the head team physician for the Chicago White Sox for 15 years, still works with the White Sox as one of their team physicians from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush, also works with the Chicago Bulls and DePaul University, amongst other teams in our area and an orthopedic surgeon. Doc, how are you? I'm great, Steve. Happy to be here this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, we're going to talk about skiing to kick the show off. Um, what was the last time you skied? Do you ski at all? You know, Steve, I skied for like 35 years, and uh, I finally had to give it up. My wife gave it up four, uh, four or five years ago, and I think I skied my last last year. Unfortunately, a back injury has knocked me off the mountain. Really? How many years did you ski? Uh, many years, and uh, I had a few injuries, and I think we're, we're hopefully going to, our next guest is going to give us some ideas on how to prevent those. Well, yeah, the topic is skiing to stay young. Let's bring on an athletic trainer for ATI, ATI Physical Therapy, Peter Braun, joining us from Glen Mills, Pennsylvania, on this Saturday morning. How you doing, Peter? I'm doing great. Thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me on. Good. All right. My first question is, uh, what inspired you to write an article on this topic? Tell us about the article. Yeah, so um, the the article's titled, you know, The Anti-Aging Effects of Skiing. Um, skiing's always been a real big passion of mine. You know, I've been skiing for about 25 years. and uh, But I, I honestly think the driving question behind, you know, why I wrote this um, was aging. You know, it's it's something we all can relate to. None of us are, aren't getting any, uh, any younger. You know, the inevitability of aging is, is definitely very interesting. And, you know, I think we all get to a point in our lives where we start to realize, you know, what we do when we're younger isn't necessarily what we can continue to do as we get older. Um, so, you know, if, if we look at this as just one tiny piece of the puzzle um, and, and trying to stay young, you know, that's the least we could do. You know, Steve, I, one of the things for me, and Peter, I, maybe you can answer this, I always yeah. find that an exercise that's sustainable is one that is the best exercise for you. And that's where I think what you're trying to get here with skiing. You know, if you enjoy skiing, it's such a physical activity. It's so fun and so exhilarating. You can do it forever. And so I guess, we, you know, one of the questions maybe some of your, your clients and patients may say to you, what level of proficiency do I have where I can ski safely? And how do I get to that next level? Or what are the keys for me to be an effective, sustainable, long-term skier? Yeah, no, that, that's a that's a great question. I think I think what's what's great about skiing and and maybe makes it a little different than some other sports is that um, you know you're really able to limit uh, yourself. You know, by the slopes that you select, the the, the challenge, the challenges that present themselves on those hills. Um, you know, the speed at which you're going. If if you really learn the craft and you develop your skills, you know, you can advance yourself at your own speed and your own rate. So. Um, it's definitely something that uh, you can pick up and develop over a very long period of time. And if you're using the right skills and techniques, then you could do it um, and do it safely, you know, well into old age. Physically with Peter Braun, athletic trainer with ATI Physical Therapy. I'm Steve Cashel with Dr. Chuck Bush-Joseph filling in this week for Dr. Brian Cole at his Sports Medicine Weekly. You brought up uh, anti-aging, Peter. Uh, that's a pretty strong claim. What do you mean by this? Yeah, so, you know, the, the idea behind that claim is really to determine um, the factors that play a part in aging and then obviously figuring out what can be done to address those factors, right? So, um, you know, there's a lot of research out there. We know a lot of what aging can do to the body, um, you know, both uh, physiologically, um, and 
anatomically, right? So there's there's a decrease in strength and muscle mass, right? We see changes in our cardiovascular system and uh, endothelial function, you know, is compromised. Our, our vessels get a little stiffer. We get an increase in blood pressure. Um, you know, we have difficulties with balance. We see an increase in um, risks of falls um, and the associated injuries uh, with those falls and uh, a decrease in, in bone density, right? Our bones get more brittle. Um, uh, so all of those kind of combine um, along with, a, you know, a ton of other factors that go into it. Um, but just really finding an exercise that can address, um, you know, those different things that go along with getting older. You know, Peter, as we go from the, the winter ski season, now we're entering the spring ski season. What's different? And, and what do you advise your clients or our listeners? Yeah, no, well, it gets a little warmer, right, obviously. But, um, you know, the, the snow conditions do change. And when you're dealing um, with snow in the wintertime, it is colder. Um, you know, we can see uh, ice, hard pack snow, also powder, right? Um, but in the spring, it does get a little heavier, a little slushier. Um, it gets wetter. Uh, so there, there is uh, some components with just balance mainly and how we're controlling our skis throughout the snow. Uh, you know, the, the techniques that are involved in all that are very similar. Uh, there's not much change from winter to spring other than how we're controlling our edges and how we're using dynamics to guide our skis throughout the turn. So, you know, um, when you're looking at um, an environment where you might see more ice, we're, we want to keep our body weight over top of our skis a little more and not get them too far out um, from under us. And, and uh, you know, when you're dealing with nice hard pack corduroy, we can really get more dynamic. Uh, we can put more force through the ski, um, which will allow it to kind of uh, create a nice sharper turn as we, um, you know, use, use the shape of the ski to our advantage. Again, visiting with Peter Braun, athletic trainer with ATI Physical Therapy. Steve Cashel here with Dr. Chuck Bush-Joseph filling in this week for Dr. Brian Cole. A pretty unique type of exercise scheme. Would you agree, Peter? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think in general, obviously, exercise is going to have a lot of positive effects on the body. You know, there's, a, I think, some particular components to skiing that can really optimize the results we see from uh, physical activity, right? So we talk about... Uh, the cardiovascular system schemes really a mix between, you know, endurance type exercise and high intensity type exercise, right? So if we're, you know, taking our time and having nice big round turns, we're slowly contracting the muscles, we're easing in and out, um, we're moving at a nice controlled pace, and that's more endurance. But when we increase that speed, we decrease our turn radius, we increase the frequency of our turns, we start to see our muscles work a lot harder. Um, and we enter in like that high intensity interval training zone. Um, we also see, you know, the effects it has on lower leg strength, which is a huge component um, in, in maintaining health over time. And just the complexity of, of a ski turn, the dynamics that are involved in order to um, really work a ski from top to bottom of the turn. And, um, you know, you're using small muscles in your feet to really engage an edge, but you know, your larger muscles, your core, um, to work and control the pressure on the ski throughout the turn. Uh, balance is another big component. Uh, you know, as soon as you put on the ski, your balance is already being challenged, right? And once you start going down the hill, we're challenging it dynamically. And then as we are talking about before, with, with changes in, in snow conditions, with the slope of the hill, uh, with how dynamic our turns are getting, 
uh, we have to react with that balance. So that's really the biggest um, the biggest challenge we can see to uh, improve our, our balance function is, is reactive dynamic balance. Um, and that's a big component of skiing. And then overall bone density is really important. You know, as we get older, bones get more brittle. And, um, you know, the way we stress our bones in skiing is different than a lot of other sports that we see. So if we look at um, like long distance running or any type of running, uh, the peak force on the bone uh, happens very quickly, right? A heel strike. That that um, that stress on the bone is really exposed drastically in a very short amount of time. But in a ski turn, we're slowly progressing that force um, through the beginning of the turn, and then that peak force is reached at the middle of the turn, and then actually goes back down slowly again toward the end of the turn. So we're still stressing our bone enough to see the effects. Um, and improve bone density over time, but we're not doing it in a way that can uh, be detrimental because of the uh, slow increase in peak force. Great stuff, Peter. Appreciate you joining us. Thanks, Yeah, Peter. no problem. My pleasure. Athletic trainer Thanks for, for ATI Physical Therapy. Skiing to stay young. And on to our next guest here on Sports Medicine Weekly as we talk about the brand-new Sports Performance Center at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. Dr. Chuck, you got to be proud of this in Oakbrook, right? You know, Steve, we're very proud to, to open this center. You know, our, we see this as our ability to improve the performance of young athletes and also lower the injury risks. The science is there now, and I think we have the information on how to help our young athletes, and, and, and I think that's what our next guest is going to tell us about. I haven't been there yet, so I want to hear all about it. Let's bring on Dave Heidloff. Dave is the manager of sports performance at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. So, Dave, um, hey, set the scene for us. As I said, I have not been there yet. I can't wait to go and, and view your facility. What's it all about? Uh, thanks for having me on. So I highly encourage anyone that's in the Oak Brook area to definitely take a look when you're at the corner of York and Cermak over in Oak Brook and take a look at the beautiful new building that we have. On the first floor, uh, you can see through the windows the sports performance area that we have with a full weight rig, every piece of sporting equipment that you could want. You can see our high-speed infrared cameras, force plates, everything that you would ever possibly want to analyze an athlete's motion and get them back to sport is present in our facility. Go ahead. You know, there's two things that we're looking for. And number one is performance. And then number two is, you know, Dave's ability and his staff to take an athlete who's undergone a, a you know, a medical problem, whether it be surgery or just recovery non-operatively for an injury, they're finished with physical therapy, but yet they're not ready to get back to their sport at a competitive level. And, and what we're trying to do, and I think what Dave's experience is, is all the concepts we do with our Division One college and professional athletes, we want to bring to our, our high school, our recreational, our young athletes, so they've got the same advantages. Well, I want you to go into that a little bit more, Dave, on what Dr. Chuck is talking about, because I'm thinking physical therapy, and then what's beyond that? Right. So what our staff is looking to do, so our staff is comprised of certified athletic trainers who are focusing on bridging that gap between injury and a full 100% confident return to sport. So we found that with some, some greater restrictions on, on visits from insurance and other things happening in, in healthcare, that there's this difficulty that people are having when they end their traditional rehabilitation and are trying to tra transition back to sport. So we want our patients truly performing on the field after an injury, not just returning to their team kind of guarded and fearful with some lingering limitations. By combining our rehab and performance training experience with the modern motion analysis technology that we have, 
we can actually identify and address any injury risks that a patient has, and we can help bolster their confidence and at the same time improve their performance. Like Dr. Bush-Joseph was saying, the worlds of sports performance and sports medicine honestly overlap a lot more than what a lot of people realize. We're talking about the new Sports Performance Center at Rush. Our guest is Dave Heidloff, manager of the Sports Performance Center at Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. I'm Steve Kasha with Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph on this Saturday morning at Sports Medicine Weekly. And uh, let's talk about some of the services then, uh, Dave, that you guys are offering at the MOR Sports Performance Center. Yeah, so our most popular service is the Functional Sports Assessment, which is a whole-body appraisal of strength, range of motion, and then we get into some sensor and video-based biomechanical analysis of athletic movements. Basically what that means is these assessments give us a head-to-toe idea of where you're strong, where you're performing well, and maybe where some deficits could be that we could address to not only reduce your injury risk or maybe help with some of the, the fear that you have getting back to your sport, but it's also going to help us improve your performance on the back end. So um, like I said, these assessments help us determine our readiness for return to sport and identify some injury risk factors. Uh, we currently offer functional sports assessments for the hip, the leg, as well as the shoulder and elbow for throwers. We also have a standalone video throwing assessment. We offer a video gait assessment for runners. We also have blood flow restriction training and general strength and conditioning services. Everything that we do is developed to work around and prevent injuries. Um, some exciting stuff that we have is that if you're willing to make a commitment with us, we actually offer some, some discounted packages that are comprised of some functional sports assessments and then also some follow-up strength and conditioning sessions. It will give you roughly four to six weeks of programming that can help you address your unique injury risk factors or, again, help you bridge that gap between where you're currently at when you end your traditional physical therapy and where you want to be confident back on the field, back on the court. Um, All of our services are are one-on-one with a certified athletic trainer. We don't double book or anything like that. So you're getting one-on-one care the entire time. You know, David, I think what our listeners like, especially that issue, when you, you know, the doctor says, all right, you're done, you're ready, you're okay. And you know, the the patient or the player isn't. And, and I think, you know, the objective analysis and where you can really specifically point out you know, via video or via chart about where these specific deficits are, I think that really helps our young athletes. So, you know, they say, I think I'm fine, but I'm a little nervous. And when you can point out, no, you're only functioning at about 65 or 70 percent on a given muscle group, I think that helps them. Uh, and so I, I think these are great services. This is this is relatively new, uh, you know, I think in the lay, uh, to our lay public, you know, where we've done this for years and years and our professional athletes were, quote, money was no object. But I think the cost of these services has come way down and really does make it accessible uh, for all of us who are parents. Guys, let me ask you, are they usually covered by insurance? You know, typically not. I mean, this okay. is that time. These are sports performance issues as opposed to treatment issues. And, and yeah, unfortunately, uh, I think as David had mentioned earlier, no, they put the brakes on this. And so these are services that you're going to consider afterwards. Great stuff. Hey, Dave, we're out of time. Really appreciate it. Uh, I can't wait to go see the Sports Performance Center at Rush. And uh, your website is MOR.com? RushOrtho.com slash sports performance will take you to a list of all of our services as well as how to schedule. There's a scheduling button right there. You can you can book right on the website. It's 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 really fascinating stuff. Great stuff. Okay, out of time. Back with our 
Staple the show. Ask the doctor after this. Only on Sports Medicine Weekly. You listen to 670 The Score. Net proceeds from our show, Sports Medicine Weekly, go to support orthopedic research at Rush through the liveactivenow.org fund. Welcome back, everyone. Sports Medicine Weekly on this Saturday morning. Steve Cashel with you along with Dr. Charles Bush-Joseph filling in this week for Dr. Brian Cole. And Dr. Chuck was the head team physician for the Chicago White Sox for 15 years. He now is one of the uh, team physicians for the White Sox as Dr. Nick Verma took his place as the head guy, so to speak. Is that the right way to put it, Doc? Yeah, you know, Nick is that guy that gets that first phone call. And uh, I did it for 15 years, and uh, uh, I get to sleep in a little bit more now. Good, good, good. You know, I've got a question because we're getting ready for spring training in less than a month now. And there's still talk about free agents and trades and everything else. Let's talk about it, Doc, if we can, on the medical side. All right, let's say the White Sox bring over a free agent. What happens then about the medical records? Do you get in contact with that team, the last team they played for, with their team physician? Do you go to their family physician? you get the full medical work? And here's my question. Do you get to examine them? You know, Steve, things have changed over the 15 years. When we started back in 2003, Major League Baseball was only on paper records. They were hard. They were dispersed. You couldn't find them all. And really, we went to a unified medical record, similar to like we have at Rush University Medical Center. And all the teams basically have to provide all their care into the record. So when we're looking at a free agent, uh, we actually have the opportunity to review their entire medical record in their minor league and major league career. And then in addition to that, obviously we do the due, due diligence. We're going we're gonna to talk to their training staff from the prior teams. Usually I'm going to talk personally to the head team physician of the team where that player last was. So we get to look at them. We look at all the medical records. We get to examine them even after negotiations have been concluded about a free agent. And then we'll do our complete physical. We'll get them over to Rush. We're going to MRI them up. We're going to examine them. We're going to our internist and all our subspecialists will look at any particular problems before we sign and then Dr. Verma, myself, or whoever, we'll give the high sign to Rick Hahn and say, yeah, we're, right, we're, we're all in. Now, trades are different in Major League Baseball. In Major League Baseball, when, if we're trading for a player, we're accepting a player that's already under contract. We don't have that ability to examine them and void the trade. What we can do is we, again, look at all their medical records, talk to their team physician, and see is there any sort of disqualifying condition that's going on with the player. And then we can sometimes put on a, uh, a rider, well, we won't accept the trade or void the trade until we examine the player. Now, sometimes the other team will grant that, sometimes they won't. So, you know, clearly we want to do our diligence. Uh, these are very expensive assets, as, you know, as the team will call them. Uh, on the minor league side, we're, we're not as diligent. You know, we still go through the records, but, you know, many times we'll sort of accept the player it is. So when we're trading a major league player for uh, three or four minor leaguers, we'll do the diligence, but oftentimes those players we're not examining to the same degree. It's interesting. It's almost like real estate. You're taking a house then instead of bringing in a, a consultant or someone to examine the house, right? Uh, you're doing as is on trades. I never knew that. I thought yeah. you could examine the player. Maybe it's different in other sports because sometimes in the NBA or maybe 
pro football, you're you're seeing that they didn't pass their physical, so the trade didn't go through. But you're taking as is. Yeah, on the free agent side, we get to examine them. But in most trade situations, it's as is because usually the other teams are saying, "Listen, you got to take them as is." You know, I mean, you know, it usually, you know, if we're talking about players who are in the back end of their career, they're in their early 30s, they've had a bunch of surgeries, a bunch of findings on MRIs. It's it's you know, there's a lot of things we're going to make judgment calls now. I can tell you, I, there's many times over my 15 years with the Sox where I voided or vetoed trades. And sometimes I made the right decision, and I'll be honest with you, sometimes I made the wrong decision. There were players that I thought that they had what I felt would be disqualifying medical conditions who went on and played another four or five years in the major leagues and had pr- productive seasons. Uh, and there's sometimes I made the right decision and, and certainly gave myself a good pat on the back. So. There you go. Uh, maybe the biggest injury in Chicago right now, the left thumb injury to Wendell Carter Jr., our Bulls rookie center, suffers the injury in the game against the Lakers on January 15th. And uh, just this past week, the Bulls hand specialist, Dr. John Fernandez and Mark Cohen, uh, did surgery on Wendell Carter. So what? tell me, uh, we don't have to talk specifics about Wendell, we know he's out for the season, but uh, how is this? Tell me about the surgery and what the actual injury is on a on a weekend warrior. You know, this is real similar to what Joakim Noah underwent several years ago. Again, a bull center, prominent player in the organization. Wendell's a little bit more in the development phase, so it's a little disappointing that he's going to lose that rest of this season for his development time. You know, it's a the thumb ligament, we, which in the old days we would call the gamekeeper's thumb, and now we call it ski pole thumb. You know, it's uh, the uh, ligament on the inside where your thumb hits your index finger. And if you jam that and jam it hard and you can pull that ligament right off the bone, it doesn't heal very well because the ligament flips out over the top of muscle and can't stick back down. Mm. So we find that nowadays the more predictable recovery is if you reattach that ligament. And so it's done surgically. It's an outpatient surgery, not a big deal, but still ligaments take about eight weeks to heal and about another six to eight weeks of recovery for motion and strength. So it ends up being a 12 to 16 week kind of injury, which unfortunately, you know, you know, can be a season ending for many players. Now, a lot of the weekend warriors will treat it non-operatively. Um, and unfortunately, if that's the case, they usually have a loose thumb for a while and be quite sensitive. And I, I have personal experience on that. I did injure mine in a church league basketball game and regretted that I did not have it surgically repaired. It took a while, right? It was almost a year before I stopped getting those, quote, zingers uh, if I didn't catch the ball just right or it hit my thumb and I would just hit the ground kind of thing. Do baseball players get that injury at all? Baseball players can get it either acutely or chronically. I think we were, you and I were speaking, speaking earlier. You know, Paul Konerko had a chronic gamekeepers, and it was a chronic problem for him. We had to do all kinds of special taping and bracing. Um, he had slowly stretched that ligament over the course of many years. Uh, whereas in, in, in you know, Joe Kim Noah and Wendell Carter, it was an acute injury, never a better time to fix it with an acute injury. Fixing it when it's a chronically injured, not nearly as predictable. Konerko never wanted the surgery. No, Paul, because we said, you know, he said, I'll play through the season with it, which you always did. That was Paul. And then at the end of the season, you know, time to get your thumb fixed. No, I, I think I'm okay. It's the off season. I, I want to go play golf. <laughs> That's great. Time now for our Ask the Doctor segment with Dr. Chuck Bush-Joseph. I'm Steve Cashel. It's Sports Medicine Weekly. It's very simple, folks. You want to ask the doc a question here in our segment that we do every week. Just go to the homepage on our website, sportsmedicineweekly.com. You'll find the picture of Dr. Brian Cole and myself on the right side. Click on that link and you can ask the doctor. Here we go, doc. Question number one from Mark asking you this. Can you describe the treatment protocol for tennis elbow? 
When should a patient seek treatment? You know, the general rule of thumb on tennis elbow, it's a little bit like rotator cuff tendonitis. It's where the tendon comes off of the bone for your forearm muscles. And if it gets injured, many times it heals, majority time it heals. So, you know, if you have an overuse event, you're working, you're doing a lot of work around the house uh, and an elbow flares up, yeah, you give it 48, 72 hours and just see how it responds. And, and so certainly when these things go on for more than seven to 10 days and you got local tenderness and weakness on grip strength activities, turning a doorknob or trying to pick up something heavy, uh, and that's just not going away, then we start to get a little bit more nervous. Most importantly is night pain. Patients who have difficulty with sleeping, it wakes them up at night, persistent for more than seven, 10 days, two weeks. That's when we say it probably should be evaluated. All right. Second question uh, comes from uh, Jimmy on the north side. What are the signs that muscle soreness shouldn't be ignored? You know, if you see significant bruising or ecchymosis, as we would say, where there's a, you know, you felt a pop and then secondarily you see redness and swelling in that area or you can feel a palpable gap, that would make us nervous. If you just are sore, you know, you did something excessively, you sprinted or ran when you hadn't ran in a while, you did an immediate, what we say, a ballistic moves when you've been just doing light recreational things, uh, muscle soreness for 48, 72 hours, again, very normal. Doc, thanks so much for joining us this week. Thank you. Happy to be here. Appreciate it. Many thanks to our producer, Shane Reardon. Our coordinating producer is Teresa Ann Seeger. Also want to thank David Cole for managing the website and our business operations, as well as Samantha Smith from Midwest Orthopedics at Rush. For Dr. Charles Bush Joseph, subbing for Dr. Brian Cole, my name is Steve Cashel saying so long, and thanks for listening to Sports Medicine Weekly here on 670 The Score, up next on The Score. Early Odds with Joe Ostrowski. Talk with you again next week. Have a great Saturday, everybody.